0: Welcome to Her Story Sessions. I'm Brittany, a woman on a mission to learn more about women throughout history and to share it all with you. If you like this show, be sure to follow me. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Her Story Session and can be emailed at her story sessions podcast at gmail.com. We're taking a sharp turn away from the typical did amazing things woman this week and talking about one half of one of the most notorious criminal couples in American history, bonnie parker of bonnie and clyde born in rowena texas on october 1st 1910 she was the middle child with an older brother and a younger sister her father charles parker died when she was just four leaving her mother emma parker to care for them alone they moved to an impoverished suburb of dallas known as cement city to live with her grandparents and her mother worked as a seamstress she was a bright student in school, showed an interest in poetry and literature, and earned honors in school. She was a small girl, and many thought she was exceptionally pretty. She dreamed of one day becoming an actress. Bonnie met Roy Thornton during her second year of high school. They dropped out of school but got married on September 25, 1926, six days before her 16th birthday but he was abusive, frequently absent for periods of time, and had several run-ins with the law. In 1929, Roy was arrested and sentenced to five years for robbery, and they fell apart, never seeing each other again, although they never officially divorced. She continued to wear his ring after that, though. She moved back in with her mother and grandparents after that, and worked as a waitress. She kept a diary for a short bit, writing about how lonely she was, her impatience with life in Dallas, and her love of photography. Bonnie first met Clyde Barrow through a mutual friend in January of 1930 when she was 19. Even though Clyde was only 20 years old, he was already an ex-con and wanted again, but had vowed that he wouldn't go back to prison. They spent a lot of time together over the following weeks, and Bonnie fell hard for him. Although he'd vowed not to go back, Clyde was arrested on several charges of auto theft and sent back to prison. But he immediately thought of escape and getting back to his new love, Bonnie. Bonnie was more than willing to help him, much to her mother's dismay, and she smuggled a gun into the prison for him, which he used to escape with his cellmates. But he was caught a week later and sentenced to four years hard labor. He was sent to Easton State Farm, where he was repeatedly sexually assaulted. He retaliated by killing his attacker with a pipe, crushing his skull. Another inmate already serving a life sentence took the blame for him, but Clyde was never the same. Unknown to him, his mother had been petitioning for his release and was successful. He was granted parole in February of 1932, and he and Bonnie were reunited. Clyde and a group of men began robbing banks and small businesses immediately, and Bonnie joined them in April. She was captured soon after during a failed robbery attempt and imprisoned for two months awaiting trial. She would pass the time by writing poetry mostly about her relationship with Clyde. One that she wrote while there was "The Trail's End," now more commonly known as "The Story of Bonnie and Clyde." In this one, she foretold their fate in the last stanza. "Someday they'll go down together and they'll bury them side by side. To few it'll be grief to the law of relief, but it's death for Bonnie and Clyde. After a grand jury failed to indict her when she claimed she was kidnapped by the Barrow gang, she was released and went back to Clyde. They had already killed one person while Bonnie was in jail, and within a year, the gang had killed five people, a few of which were law officers. In March of 1933, Clyde's brother and his wife Blanche joined Bonnie, Clyde, and his friend W.D. Jones in a temporary hideout in Joplin, Missouri. Here, they drank all night and ran loud card games in what was otherwise a relatively quiet neighborhood. None of the neighbors went over there, but one reported suspicions to the police. The police, thinking it was bootleggers they were dealing with, took five men and two cars over to the house on April 13th. The Barrow brothers and Jones opened fire, killing one and fatally injuring another. Then Bonnie opened fire while the others fled. Bonnie then joined the others in the car, grabbing and pulling Blanche in off the street where she had been chasing her dog. They escaped, but they left behind a lot at the house, including a handwritten poem by Bonnie and a camera with several rolls of undeveloped film. The police had these photos developed, and they were published along with the poem. These are the famous photos of the gang, and where the photo of Bonnie posing with a cigar in her mouth and a pistol in her hand came from. The group became front-page news all over America. They stayed on the move for the next three months, committing a few robberies and occasionally taking hostages, which they would usually let go far from home, sometimes with a small amount of money to help them get back. They also did not hesitate to shoot anyone who got in their way, whether it was police or civilians. While the public saw them as folk heroes for a time after the photos were first printed, these violent acts in the headlines began to turn the overall opinion of them. Their lives became more difficult as they gained notoriety. Restaurants and motels weren't as safe to go to, and they started cooking over campfires and bathing in cold streams. The closeness of five people in one car constantly also started to wear them down. Then on June 10th, they were in a bad car accident, and Bonnie's right leg was severely burned from hip to ankle. It was so severe that according to Jones, you could see the bone in some places, and the muscles contracted, causing her leg to draw up. Afterwards, she could hardly walk and would hop on one leg or be carried by Clyde. The group got help from a nearby farm family, then kidnapping and leaving two policemen handcuffed to a tree before fleeing. They hid and nursed Bonnie's burns, but when Buck and Jones bungled a robbery, shooting another police officer in the process, the group had to flee again, despite Bonnie's terrible condition. In July 1933, they checked into the Red Crown Tourist Court outside of Platte City, Missouri, but they quickly attracted attention. A group of officers showed up with an armored car and machine guns, and a gunfight quickly broke out. They managed to escape when the stray bullet short-circuited the car's horn, and the police mistook it as a signal to cease fire. But Buck had sustained a bullet wound to the forehead that shattered his skull and exposed brain matter, although amazingly, he was still alive. Blanche was nearly blinded by shards of glass in both eyes. They ran to Dexter, Iowa, camping out behind an abandoned amusement park. Locals noticed their bloody bandages, and the police assumed it was the Barrow Gang. Bonnie, Clyde, and Jones managed to escape on foot, but Blanche and Buck were caught, Buck having been shot in the back by the officers. He died of his injuries in the hospital five days later. For the next six weeks, the three kept running, ranging farther than they had before, but continued robbing places. In September, they risked returning to Dallas to see their families. There, Jones left them, and Bonnie's family took care of her while her leg healed over, and Clyde committed several robberies with several local accomplices. Bonnie and Clyde escaped yet another police trap in November, but this would be their last escape. In January 1934, Clyde helped several escape from Easton Prison, a humiliation for the Texas Department of Correction. They killed several more policemen over the next several months, bringing the total killed to nine. Texas Ranger Frank Hammer, who wanted to see them dead, was tracking them, living out of his car, and for a while, just a little behind them. Then he charted their path, figured out they swung in a wide circle of five states, using crossing the state lines to their advantage to keep police from pursuing them. They set up an ambush in Louisiana, and the morning of May 23rd, they opened a fire on Bonnie and Clyde's vehicle, firing about 130 rounds total. They weren't taking any chances of them getting away again. Bonnie was just 23 when she died, and despite her wishes to be buried next to Clyde, the Parker family refused. Her mother wanted to bring her back to their home, but the mobs outside their family home made it impossible. More than 20,000 people attended her funeral, and the family had difficulty even getting to her gravesite. She was buried in Fish Trap Cemetery in Dallas, but in 1945 was moved to the new Crown Hill Cemetery. Her life has been romanticized and retold many times over in popular culture, showing up in movies, on TV, in music, and podcasts. In film, most recently, is the 2019 movie The Highwaymen, starring Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson, which tells a story from the Texas Rangers' point of view. It was currently available on Netflix. Today, Bonnie's last surviving blood relative, a niece, is trying to get Bonnie moved to be buried next to Clyde as she wanted. But it's a legal process that has to go through the courts, so it will take some time. That's all for today, and thank you for attending this Her Story session.